Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I'm joined with Dr. Mark Rutland, who is a best-selling author, founder of Global Servants and the National Institute for Christian Leadership, among much more. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. And thanks so much for tuning in today. I am very excited for the special conversation with Dr. Mark Rutland, who is a best-selling author and columnist for Charisma Leader Magazine. He is the founder of Global Servants. He was the former president and also of the National Institute for Christian Leadership. Among a whole lot more, he has spent time in education, business leadership, church ministry, um, writing, and has just has, has quite the resume um, over his over his years uh, and just his experience um, in these different spaces. I'm excited today because we discuss his latest book, Courage to Be Healed: Finding Hope to Restore Your Soul. And you'll you'll hear on this integrative approach um, and just its foundations biblically of uh, of healing. Um, that is not only through restoration through the Holy Spirit, but also through counseling um, and some challenges that, that we may have uh, and is becoming more and more popular um, in, in our generation, in our culture um, with millennials, Gen Z, and uh, obviously echoes through many different uh, demographics, but um, mental health. And he, he looks through in his book different toxins that are the most troubling. Um, and then just a, this four point model that he uses uh, of working through the toxin and coming to the therapy and, and the goal. Um, and, and then also he provides some leadership tips and advice uh, for, for small group leaders, um, whoever might be taking this to their community. I'm super excited for today's episode. And I'm going to turn it on over to my conversation with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Mark Rutland, thanks so much for joining me in the Guys Like Us podcast today. Thank you, Tyler. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. My joy. Uh, and thank you for, uh, for, for joining us today. And uh, you're, you're right now kind of in the midst of an exciting time with your book. So first, congratulations on your latest release, Courage to Be Healed, Finding Hope to Restore Your Soul. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's really taken off. Uh, we had the fastest first month of sales that we've had in 18 books. So we're very pleased with that. That's fantastic. Oh, my goodness. Um, well, I, I'd love to get into your book in just a minute, um, but I want to just introduce a bit more about who you are and for folks that may not have uh, have stumbled upon your, your numerous books or the other work that you're doing. Um, so you're uh, obviously uh, kind of have your hands on a lot of different places with education, business leadership, and ministry, and and obviously as an author. Have can you kind of tell tell a bit more about your your backstory of how these kind of all came to uh, the table? What were these all kind of part of your giftings and passions? Did did these kind of come in later in life? How how did that how did that kind of a bit more about your journey into uh, the work that you're doing right now? Yeah, that's a good question. The thing is, if your journey is long enough, you can cover a lot of states. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I, um, I've been in the ministry for 52 years. So 
Uh, I began as a Methodist pastor, pastored a series of churches in the Methodist church, mm -hmm. then uh, moved into um, traveling, speaking uh, from mm -hmm. church to church. Then I began adding in writing, and because mm -hmm. I wasn't a full-time professional writer, uh, I was able to do that on the side. So I wrote books in motel rooms and on airplanes and mm -hmm. in the back booth of a Taco Bell. I nearly dedicated one of the books to the manager of the Taco Bell. Wow. And uh, so it, it gradually builds. Then we launched uh, Global Servants, left the presidency over a year mm -hmm. ago, and our son Travis Rutland is the president of Global Servants now and doing a stellar job. Uh, then uh, I became the associate pastor at a mega church in Atlanta, Georgia, Mount Perrin Church of God. I was there with Dr. Paul Walker. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I became the pastor of a bankrupt, fallen um, Assembly of God Church in Orlando. And God gave us a miraculous turnaround there. Went from there to a uh, also financially and numerically troubled college, Southeastern College. Mm -hmm. Again, we had a, a tremendous blessing from God. It exploded in growth. We went from 900 students to about 3,500 students, we achieved university status. It just began to really explode. And then I went from there to Oral Roberts University, which was another troubled situation. Mm -hmm. And it was a tremendous turnaround there. And out of those three laboratories, Calvary Church, Southeastern University, and Oral Roberts University, I wrote um, uh, Relaunch. And that's the book that hit the New York Times bestseller list. So uh, it really did well in the leadership and management category. And uh, then uh, uh, after I left ORU, then we moved back to Georgia, and uh, I serve on the preaching team at two different churches. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm with Jensen Franklin at Free Chapel uh, as he uses me on his preaching team. And then once a month, I preach with Ashley Evans at Influencers Church, which is a church out of Australia where I traveled. Mm -hmm. I knew and, uh, Ashley's father, Andrew Evans, and preached in Australia frequently for mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. And so now I preach in Influencers Church here in the United States and uh, continue to write. And that's then we came to Courage to be Healed, and mm -hmm. uh, that book has just taken off like mm -hmm. a shot. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I, I hope at the end of the podcast we'll have just a, a few moments to discuss uh some maybe some key leadership points, um, but but first I want to definitely dive into uh, your latest book. So you, you mentioned that it's been it's been doing quite well um, the, just within the first month, which is which is fantastic. What kind of what sparked you to write this book? Um, what have you been seeing these past few years that that uh, that required you to really you know prompted you to uh, to, to to dig in and, and really kind of put your heart and soul uh, and, and mind into into this work. Yeah, well, it, that's a good question. There was a moment, a spark, as you say, but it's also the fruit of years of uh, mm. labor. It's one of these books that you write on for a while, then you put it aside, and you come back to it a year later, and you add another chapter, and mm. I just kept struggling with it. It was a book that uh, had a tremendous amount of research. I interviewed a huge number of counselors. I did a fair amount of counseling myself. I learned counseling through Dr. Walker at Mount Perrin. And uh, it, it just kept kind of sort of building up. I'd have stacks of material sitting on the corner of a desk. And then in the last few years, the, the 
struggle, particularly I saw among ministers, but elsewhere for um, mental health, uh, the struggle with um, crisis, trauma, and mm-hmm. and all of that. It, it finally just piled up like water behind the dam, and I decided to go ahead and write it. I got it finished, and I was very doubtful about it. Uh, I nearly, in fact, I had the contract signed with the publisher, and I nearly backed out. Mm-hmm. It just, I just felt... I don't know who's going to want to read a book about coming to, through inner healing, mm. dealing with all of the gunk that gets in the gears. I have uh, verbatims of counseling sessions in it. I, I just was afraid that nobody would be interested in it. But we went ahead with it, and I was happily surprised. It's been a tremendous hit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I, I think uh, you you touched on this, and uh, obviously you, you'll mention you mentioned the book quite frequently is the restor you kind of two prong, but really just integrated of this restoration through the Holy Spirit, but also counseling, and I think maybe some of us have the tendency to kind of compartmentalize or to kind of see them as completely separate and not working within each other. How have you? kind of how did you think about your approach of the kind of both understanding the need for inner healing uh in i guess these two these two different ways good that's a very good question all right uh let's suppose that you have um something wrong with your hand and you go to a service at your church and you go forward to the altar somebody a human being somebody in that church the elders the pastor a human hand anoints you with oil, human hands lay hands on you, and they believe for God's physical healing. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. That's right. So why then, if I have inner issues, emotional issues, damaged emotions, wound a wounded soul, isn't Jesus called the wonderful counselor? So why then, if he has physical people who would, through whom his healing power would flow for physical healing, why wouldn't he have human people through whom his hmm. inner healing also flowed for healing? Um, and what hmm. is the instrument by which that happens? You can call it whatever you want to. But if Jesus is called the wonderful counselor, then those who minister, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, is in the gifts, plural, gifts of healing. Hmm. Then a gift of inner healing, if he's the wonderful counselor, then why? aren't those people called counselor? So that's the approach I take throughout mm. the whole book. Mm. Awesome, awesome. And so uh, I, I actually have the book right in front of me right now and have uh, have delved into several chapters. And I, I like kind of the, the, you know, the framework that you put around it just to, to, to help make it, I uh, think, really, you know, digestible for, for readers. And um, you work through, you, you illustrate these different toxins first. Um, and then you have this, these four different kind of this, this four part, whether it's a journey or stages, uh, through, through shame, unforgiveness, rejection, condemnation, and fear. Uh, and then the, the different, um, the different prongs within that are throne therapy, uh, and goal, I'm sorry, identify throne therapy and goal, um, and so, so I want to start with this split, this the toxin of shame, um, which is in one of your kind of how you kick off the book, and I think is a really important place to start. Um, 
is kind of understanding the shame. Can you, uh, I, I know this can paralyze so many of us uh, in our in our process of healing. How do you, how do you work through this toxin? Yeah, all right, the, the five principal toxins, I believe, though there may be a vast multiplicity of, uh, of variations mm. of what I might call tributaries of mm. these, the main, the five main uh, tributaries are shame, unforgiveness, rejection, condemnation, and fear. Mm. So shame is, a lot of people think shame is embarrassment. In fact, there's a terrible translation of Genesis chapter 1. Some of the contemporary Bibles translate it, uh, and the, Adam and Eve were naked and they were not embarrassed. Hmm. But embarrassed is a terrible translation of that word. Embarrassed is what happens if you drop your spaghetti in your lap. Shame is a deep inner wound. That is, uh, hmm. that is something that haunts me, that tells me, uh, you're you're a horrible person. You're um, all kinds of words arise out of that toxin. You're unacceptable. You're nasty. You're you're unworthy, and and it is a it is a highly uh, poisonous toxin. Now each toxin rests in what I call a throne. You could call it anything, a Tyler, a, a dominion, a force, or a power. Mm-hmm. Um, you remember in the book of Ezekiel, it talks about the river of life flows out from underneath the altar. Mm-hmm. Okay, I believe that likewise, these toxic rivers flow out from underneath evil thrones, dominions of some that hold some kind of power. And out of that power flow these toxins. Okay, the throne out of which shame flows is deception, a lie or a cluster of lies. So I feel shame. Uh, we deal with in the book with this um, executive who had become so toxic. Uh, his marriage was in disarray. His, he was in danger of losing his company. He was in the, facing a divorce. It was uh, everything, everything around him was falling to pieces. In counseling, beginning to work back through what is the source of the toxin? It came out. And it was a horrible, painful process to get to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That the summer before he turned 15, when he was 14, 14-year-old boy is actually a child. And he was brutally raped. Okay, not not, uh, inappropriately fondled. He was raped. But the lie that, that took root in his brain is only a woman can be raped. So if he admits to himself that he was raped, it threatens his very sense of who he is as a male, okay? Wow, okay. So he, so he suppresses it, he represses it, he pushes it down, he denies it, and he begins to cover it over with a very high level of toxic masculinity, uh, aggressive sexually, aggressive in sports, aggressive in business. Uh, nobody will ever... Uh, have dominion over me ever again. That that attitude begins to encrust itself. It becomes combative, competitive. But the problem is what? The beast is always there under the floorboards. Hmm. It's, it's terrified that it'll come out. But the longer that he buries it, it begins to almost disappear. 
Now, that seems hard to imagine, but I'm telling you, psychologically and emotionally, you can almost reduce a memory to smoke. It'll just gradually, it's not, it doesn't even become denial anymore. It just becomes, um, it just disappears. So as in counseling, as he begins to get back to that event, it, it becomes explosive. You're going to rip those floorboards up and bring that, bring that horrible thing out. So it, it, it raises its ugly head. Now he's faced mm. with this horrible dilemma. What actually happened? Okay? Mm-hmm. So what is the therapy for deception? You, you know what it is. It's truth. Um, so mm-hmm. therefore, that deception has to be dealt with with the, with the truth. You shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. But, but first, the truth makes you miserable. It's horrible. So he's, he's yelling at the counselor. He's um, becomes angry, he becomes explosive. Why do I have to call it that? Why do I have to say that word? Because until you can say the word and say what it was, the shame is on the victim. When you can find the courage to say, all right, yes, it was rape, Mm -hmm. but the shame is now no longer on the victim. The shame is on the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. So he works from shame through the the stronghold of deception by, by dealing with this painful truth. But here's the thing. One of the reasons people, I think, have a bad misconception of counseling is they think all you do is just get in and process all this stuff, mm. that you just spend the rest of your life in therapy. But that's not the goal. The goal is an outcome. What do you want out of it? What's the, what's the end game, right? Mm. Okay, so the end game is integration. That all of these pieces of his life, everything, the, the horrible and the wonderful can all be brought together into one life. That's called integration. When your life is not integrated, it begins to disintegrate. So all of that has to be brought together into one comprehensive life. This is why the Bible says, all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. But all things has to mean all things, or it doesn't mean anything. So if you have to cut and paste, that can't be in my life. That didn't happen. You begin to live in denial and deception. Shame enters in, and the toxic river begins to flow, and your life begins to fall to pieces because you can't integrate the whole of it. So if you work backwards from deception through truth, calling things what they are, dealing with it, the, the outcome is an integrated life. That's, that's what you're after in counseling. Mm. Wow, that's really good. And um, I, I think what I re- what I really love that you touched on is this deep rooting, this deep nature of some of the the pain, the shame, uh, whatever that toxin might be, and it's uh, kind of the naggingness and just the the how it keeps how you know we think we have maybe confronted it on the surface, but it is we we really 
haven't uh, we haven't gotten to its roots. We have we haven't kind of, as Freud would say, gotten underneath that repressive barrier to to look deep into the thoughts that are being pushed down and and, and understand that, and then and then move forward into, as you said, integration and to kind of confronting this evil, confronting this this pain and, and moving forward to to a path of healing and, and restoration. Yeah, that's that's actually, Tyler, the whole reason for the title of the book and the, the mm. thesis of the book is it. that we, we have so often emphasized faith as the only variable in healing. And I'm not saying it's not a variable, mm. and particularly in physical healing, but in in healing of damaged emotions in Mm. inner healing i've come to believe that the greater variable is courage to face reality to call things what Mm. they are i think that yes it takes faith but you start in trying to deal with the inside of me why am i like this Mm. that takes that takes well i think we can say it on the air that just takes guts Mm -hmm. yeah and i i I, I can. I almost overlooked kind of you know we, we look at healed, but then we forget the, the you know as you mentioned courage to be healed and that 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 factor from the outset that does require this this uh, this step this first step this leap of faith this step of faith to to get out there and say hey you know what I uh, I have to admit that there's that I have some uh, I have some I have some pain that I I need to deal with. Yeah, look if. If you're at odds, not you, I mean, if one is at odds with every person in your extended family, at some point or another, it takes courage to look in the mirror and say, the only constant amidst all these variables is Mm -hmm. me. Maybe, Maybe I can let the Holy Spirit hold the mirror up to me and see I have issues. And that, that just takes tremendous courage. So for, you know, for listeners right now who are hearing this and this all, this all sounds great, um, but this might be only applicable or, you know, it might be only applicable for people who are really experiencing some deep, deep tragedy or, you know, a deep life event that they've gone through. What, what, what would you say? Yeah, it's always useful in teaching on something to use an extravagant example mm-hmm. like for example this businessman who experienced a sexual trauma right but but what we're discovering and and I think everybody knows it you, you have this guy in your family who's just toxic he he ruins every birthday party he's just always bitter you have this low woman in your office who is constantly uh, irritating everybody she she almost seems to engineer her own rejection all the time all of these things can't possibly be tied back to, to sexual trauma. So some of them deal with other things. Um, mm-hmm. The other toxins, unforgiveness, that's toward others. Uh, rejection, that is a high, by the way, that is a very common and highly toxic flow in many lives. Mm-hmm. I just feel whether I am rejected or not, I feel unworthy, I feel unaccepted, I feel denied, I feel access to other, that I get up to the guardhouse and everybody else gets in but not me. 
there's a, I come to the dinner table and there's a place name at every plate and not one, there's not one for me. Mm-hmm. Often all that is not from trauma. It's just from some sense that happens within me. Hmm. I am rejected because I, what, deserve to be rejected. Something is wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Or I am rejected because something is wrong with everybody else, including God. So the toxin of rejection, for example, may have nothing to do with trauma. It may just be a deep doubt about who God is, Mm. that God really accepts me, that he really understands me, loves Mm. me, cares Mm. for me. And that rejection, you see people that do things all the time, Tyler, that almost cause other people to reject them. They force their own rejection. Why? Because they are acting out of that toxic flow of rejection. They are rejected, and they're going to engineer you to reinforce the fact that they are rejected. Mm-hmm. So those are not huge traumatic things. Those are things. There are many, many people who live their whole lives with some level of, of toxic woundedness mm-hmm. in their lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great, thank you. And I think I think this would be one transition to you know for 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 people who uh, for leaders or you know for people who have, uh, who want to bring this this book to their small group um, or to just their community wherever they may be. What what advice would you would you give as they as they work through this book? Yeah, I, I appreciate that question. First of all, there are books that you can just sort of discuss and chat through and everything. Mm-hmm. I, what I recommend is that everybody actually read the book and that that they really process it personally. Then as you go through it, base everything in the book on the grid the toxin throne therapy gold grid that's on page 17. So each each chapter is based on that grid. Then I'm not suggesting that you turn your cell group into an alcoholics anonymous, you know, how my <laughs> name is Bob and I I'm a rejection addict. <laughs> yeah. You know, but that at some point or another there has to be some sense of introspection. Mm-hmm. Where do I fit in this grid? Uh, the temptation, or maybe it's not a temptation, the easier part will be to figure out where your brother-in-law fits on the grid, right? Okay. But, but what I want to deal with is, are any of these five toxins to some extent or another flowing in my life? Uh, take, for example, fear. People may not think of that as a crippling toxin, but it really can be. I can't. I, there, there are a lot of people, for example, mm-hmm. that can never get married because of their fear of commitment, their fear mm-hmm. that it'll go wrong. Uh, they are afraid in business. They're overly conservative. They, they're, so fear can actually mm-hmm. be a very crippling toxin, but they may not think of themselves as toxic people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So the, the kind of the call back to... Uh... And I think you're right. We can quickly point fingers fig, uh, fingers at other people in our life that maybe uh, that maybe in in need of a book, but um, in need of this book. But but really looking back to our uh, our life and kind of having some of this self awareness and introspection uh, to to see where where we need to start and how and uh, and and our personal healing. 
Yeah, uh, that's right. Where can I see traces of one of these five toxins? Where did they show up in my life? Mm -hmm. And where does that toxic flow inform actions and attitudes and relationships that I have? Mm -hmm. Um, That's the that's the far more important part at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So then as you work through that, now what you want to ask yourself is what what breaks that? I use the word therapy, but what is the antidote for the poison? So uh, the easiest one to identify scripturally is fear. We know what is the antidote for fear, right? The Bible is very clear. Perfect love casts out all fear. So what I have to try to figure out is how does the issue or the reality of the love of God fit into my fear Mm. because fear is rooted. What is the throne of fear? It's pain. I spend my life trying to insulate myself from painful things. So fear of relationships, I'm insulating my, I insulate my life because, um, because I, I'm afraid that the relationship will hurt me fear of responsibility. So I keep myself at a lower level of productivity than I could have because I'm f- afraid of, of, of res- the responsibility because I imagine in it some kind of pain. So trying to create a pain-free life is not only self-absorbed, it's not biblical. God never mm-hmm. promised us a pain-free life. Mm-hmm. He didn't say you'll never walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What did he say? He said, I'll be with you. Mm -hmm. So the therapy that treats the fear of pain is the the loving presence of Christ. So I'll give you a good Mm -hmm. example. Uh, A a middle-aged man, when I was a uh, pastor in Florida, a middle-aged man came Mm -hmm. to me, and his elderly mother had become totally crippled by agoraphobia from the Latin word agora, meaning the marketplace. She couldn't go out of her house. She couldn't go to the shopping mall. Finally, it became worse and worse. She couldn't go in her own front yard. Her grown children had to bring her groceries and everything else. So he asked me to start counseling with her. Well, of course, to do it, I had to go to her house. Hmm. So I began by trying to convince her that everything would be okay. She could go in the car with her daughter. Nothing would hurt her. She could go to the mall, nothing would hurt her, that kind of thing. I didn't even make a dent. So you know what I did? I reversed field. I began to tell her all the bad things that could happen to her in her house. I said, you know, I drive around your neighborhood getting here. I said, this is not a real nice neighborhood. Anybody could break in here. Somebody could kill you, take everything you've got. She said, Dr. Rutland, are you trying to help me? Mm -hmm. She She said, that doesn't feel like help. But I wanted to show her there's no way to create a pain-free life. The issue then is if Jesus can be with her in the house, could he be with her in the front yard? Could he be with her in the car? Could he be with her at the mall? She began gradually Mm -hmm. to move past it. Uh, And I'll never forget the day her 50-something-year-old son called me from his car. He literally was crying. And he said, I just pulled in my mother's driveway. She's standing in the front yard watering the flowers. He said, I can't believe it. So the, the, 
the therapy that deals with pain that causes the fear is love. Perfect love casts out all fear, not because it promises a pain-free life, but because it promises to be there mm-hmm. in the pain. Mm-hmm. So what does that give us then? It gives us a life of hope in the face of anything that life can hurl at me. No matter, I do not have to fear pain in the past being repeated, and I don't have to create a mythology of unimaginable pain ahead of me because I now live in hope. Hmm. So that, so the, if you look at the toxins, shame, unforgiveness, rejection, condemnation, and fear, then go to the goal side. What would life look like free of all those things? It is integrated, merciful, filled with acceptance. It is a balanced life with hope. That's great. And I think that hope filled uh, opportunity that we can live into is the it that's the way. That's the uh, that is our that's our stronghold. That's where we're able to uh, to find peace and find rest. Um, and can you so for I'm thinking just at a larger level of uh, maybe places or, or things that we can get caught up in that contribute to some of these these toxins uh i guess particularly in culture today what are you seeing or kind of where are you uh where are you hearing that we're uh occupying our our time and our just our our life in too much that can be uh that can be put away so that we can then um kind of address what what matters all right let's take let's take one that it, it, that can actually be very subtle. People can mm. be struggling with it and have no clue that they're struggling with it. Mm-hmm. And that is rejection. Okay. People spend inordinate amounts of time, uh, frankly, um, more often men than women, spend huge amounts of time, energy, effort, trying to create this m- mirage or even a, a physical outward reality of success, what I can learn, what I can earn, uh, the money, the success, the, the whatever it is. And it, it can be, I'm not just talking about layman, the, the, the pastor, a bigger church, more people, more books sold, uh, more sermons written, even notches on your gun, more souls saved, everything. None of those things are bad, but they can be an effort to create this outward feeling I must be okay because of all these things. But the fact of the matter is, it's like a balloon. You get it bigger and bigger and bigger, and you pile up everything on the surface. But there is a lot of stuff on the surface, but the vacuum inside, the emptiness, is actually getting bigger as the surface gets bigger. So this growing sense of rejection, none of these things really explain me. None of these things really make me feel loved and accepted and important Mm -hmm. and significant. So I just keep pouring more and more and more into it. I believe that is Mm -hmm. one of the number one issues, the the lust for outward proof that I'm acceptable Mm -hmm. actually causes greater inner rejection. I sit in my luxury car in the driveway of my multi-million dollar house and I still, some voice inside of me says, even this is not a worth, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. 
there's something about you that just isn't quite right. It's a, it's a haunting inner voice in America. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the, yeah, it's, um, it's the, the feeling that enough is never enough, um, in terms of our, uh, what we can acquire and kind of how we, where we can assent to. Um, yes. And we think it's because, uh, enough is never enough. We say that all the time, but we think it's because I need more pleasure or I need more possessions, but it's not that it mm -hmm. actually is. I need those things to tell me I'm acceptable, but but the mm -hmm. problem is they don't work and they're mm -hmm. counterproductive because the surface of the balloon gets bigger and bigger and bigger and stretched thinner and mm -hmm. thinner. Mm -hmm. And what I'm actually walking toward is the explosion. When all of that blows sky high, I find out there's, there was never anything on the inside. That's the That's the devastating shock when that explosion comes and I got nothing to show for it. You asked me about mm -hmm. the sort of the mm -hmm. generalized view of American life, and I believe that 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 one is is one of the number one toxins in America. Is mm -hmm. striving for something to explain me, mm -hmm. and it and all it does is make my life more and more superficial. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So thank thank you so much, and um, I, I'm sure this has been helpful uh, and just really needed for a lot of people right now. Uh, I would love to hear a, a final word of hope, uh, encouragement for those who may be struggling on the podcast right now. Yeah, the whole book is sort of based on Luke chapter five, the man lowered through the rooftop. So let's look at that one story and that's all the hope and encouragement mm -hmm. for healing that you'll ever need. And it's this, that man was so infirm, so unable to heal himself or to find healing, that when he's lowered into Christ's presence, all the other people in that room are not concerned for his healing. But Jesus is only concerned about his healing. He doesn't care about what anybody else in that room thinks. They're all judging him. They're all judging the man on the bed. It says they are, the, Luke chapter 5 describes them. It says the room was filled with Pharisees and doctors of the law. All of them are only quibbling about legalistic issues. Jesus' only concern was the health of the man on the bed. And he says to him, be of good comfort, son. Your sins are forgiven. Then he says, take up your bed and walk. In other words, Jesus was concerned for healing for the whole person, inside and outside. And he began on the inside. So no matter what you're dealing with, whether it's from your childhood or your marriage or, or just issues uh, of your inner life. God is not the problem. He's the answer. Jesus is not the issue. He's the medicine. He wants you well. And he's, if you will find the courage to say to him, Lord, here's where I am. This is what's going on in my life. Then based on the authority of scripture, I feel perfectly free to say to you, Jesus wants you well and he'll take you through the process thank you so much um i know that this will be impactful for many uh for many folks listening to the podcast today and i do hope that that uh people can get a copy of your book um where where can we find you uh and, and just a copy of the book as well 
Yep. Courage to be Healed uh, is on Charisma uh, House Publishing. It's available wherever you get Christian books, all of those places. Or you can go to drmarkrutland.com. Hmm. You can also look up everything to do with our ministry, our girls' homes overseas, everything else on globalservants.org. And uh, I hope you'll get the book. I hope you'll get copies for those of you in your life that you know, people who need it. Uh, you know, Tyler, it probably doesn't matter to anybody to hear this, but it matters to me to say it. I do not take one penny from any book sales. I never have. Royalties are paid directly to Global Servants. It all goes to our missions program, particularly uh, the support of our girls' homes in Thailand and Africa. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been a real joy uh, and honor to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Tyler. God bless you.